You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Hey listeners, it's been a while and I admit I've missed you guys. You may wonder why I'm back at the mic after a few years. It turns out that I had one episode of Written on Water left to publish, and it happened to be on losing a beloved pet. I lost my sweet Wookiee a few weeks ago at 15 and a half years old. I'd scheduled a euthanasia appointment, but he chose to go on his own terms instead, just the day before. As he writhed in my arms, raging against the dark night, I held him so tight and whispered, I love you, I got you. And thank you so much for all of our years. As he took his last breath, his tail wagged and it wagged hard. It made me think that his brother Obi, perhaps my brother Tomas, were on the other side ready to catch him. I admit the thought brought me so much peace. I hope to go out just as Wookiee did in the arms of my person after a long life of tennis balls and bacon, (laughs) crossing over to see my beloveds. Such a beautiful thought. So friends, I hope you find this Dust It Off episode useful. Hug your pups tight. And please, as always, listen and learn. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here because we're going to talk about an important subject, I think, especially in this day and age where everybody seems to have a family pet. um, And pets are pretty much on levels of humans these days, which I think is wonderful. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about pets and the grieving and illness and how to deal. Um, Can you Tell us about the Argus Institute and its mission and the services you provide. Sure. Of course. I would love to. Um, and I'll just say, I, I totally agree with you about the um, pets being part of the family. Mine are, are locked away right now so they don't disturb our podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> We should probably let them be a part of it, huh? They, they probably could, but, you know, it might hinder the conversation a little bit. Right. Um, The Argus Institute is uh, in partnership with Colorado State University Veterinary Teaching Hospital. It was started in 1984, so way ahead of the curve as far as I'm concerned in supporting people through things with their pets. So it's the oldest and longest standing support service in a veterinary teaching hospital. And the mission of the Argus Institute is to honor the human-animal bond by providing compassionate support and advocacy for people who care for animals. Mm. And the counselors at the Argus Institute, we do this in a variety of ways. And probably the biggest way we do it that we'll talk about today is we offer support to clients and people who are facing challenges surrounding their pet's health or their pet's health care. We also do it by teaching compassionate communication to veterinary professionals. Um, As I said, we're in partnership with a veterinary teaching hospital. So we work with students and doctors and technicians and just any staff that's involved in, in the care of taking care of pets, other people's pets. 
Uh, we also do this in community outreach um, so that we don't, we are not just working exclusively with people who come to CSU Veterinary Teaching Hospital. We work in the community as well. And one of the ways we do that is with um, a student run pet hospice program that we can talk about in greater detail. Um, but th that's pretty much sums up in a nutshell. Um, the Argus Institute and kind of the history of. And I just, I love that part of the mission, honoring the, the pet human bond. You know, I think that's so important to acknowledge that we're two beings having a connection. And I think that's why pets are such an important part of the family, you know, and why do you think that animal loss seems to be much more downplayed than that of humans? Um, do you think that the, the grief in losing a family pet is any different when, you know, than losing a family member, human family member? Um, well, I think to answer the first part of your question, it's what is referred to as disenfranchised grief, meaning that the loss of a pet and the grief felt within that loss or after that loss is kind of falls outside of what's acceptable socially and expected socially. And so kind of the social norms are not ones that validate the loss of an animal versus validating the loss of a two-legged family member. Um, for example, if you lose, if you know, you experience uh, the loss of your best friend or a sibling or a parent, um, people are not going to say to you, I think you should get another sister or I think you should get <laughs> another best friend and this will help you feel better. But mm -hmm. a lot of people will say, I think you should get another dog. You should get another cat. That'll help your grief. And so that's just an example of kind of how, as you said, it's a little downplay. There's just not a lot of validation. I think we've come a long way. And I think one of the reasons we've come a long way, at least here in this country is that um, families have changed and, you know, families live further apart or spread across the nation or across the world and families are smaller. And so those four legged family members that are now joining more frequently, the household are becoming more important um, and more integral to the family. That's such a good point. I, I'd never really thought about kind of that nuclear family dynamic changing and having animals become so much more a part of that, mm -hmm. you know, that family bond. Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I've been a big proponent of like pre-planning for end of life. I've had a lot of podcasts on funeral planning and estate planning. And, you know, when it comes to a pet, what do you think are the most important things to think of? Well, um, I guess, you know, I'd like to take this time to talk about pet hospice because I think that it's not something that is on the forefront of anybody's mind um, unless you're, you know, you're lucky enough to live within a university town like ours that has mm -hmm. this program. But even here, um, you know, in this community, uh, not a lot of people have heard of something like this. And so it's, you know, loosely based off kind of the human uh, hospice model in that um, it's providing support in the home to the families so that a pet does not have to travel outside of the home 
you know, a lot of animals get stressed out when they have to go to the veterinary hospital. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's, you know, it's providing that care and comfort in the home. And I think the biggest component of at least our pet hospice program, which is student run. So um, it's first, second and third year veterinary students who go through pretty intensive training, um, but don't provide sort of the medical piece of it that the human hospice world does. But mm-hmm. instead, they focus on helping people make decisions that they feel good about, about their pet, um, helping people um, make their dog more comfortable at home. And that can be something like, you know, getting an orthopedic bed or um, putting mats or runners down in the house if the dog's having some hind end weakness and is slipping and sliding all over the house and it's stressing Mm -hmm. everybody out. And it's just those little things. And it's having, you know, two or three people come in and check on you and check on the animal that um, you love so much and helping you make those decisions towards end of life and feel good about the decisions you're making because you've got an objective person that's saying, you know, we were here last week and you're right. His quality of life is not so great. He's not doing this anymore. He didn't get up and greet us at the door. Um, and so it's not all on the family or if it's a single person, it's not all on you. Um, it's a team approach. Um, yeah. I mean, I love that concept. I've never heard of, you know, that sort of end of life care put that way. And I absolutely love that you're teaching students this because I often think, in that human medical world that doctors don't have enough compassionate care training right. to deal with these yes. end of life issues. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of cure, cure, cure focused mm-hmm. when really the reality is that the cure is not going to help at this point And we need to look at comfort measures, you know, yeah. and I think it's wonderful that you guys are teaching students this early on, you know? Yeah. It's a huge uh, benefit for people in their homes and their and it's a huge benefit for the pets. Um, but it's also a huge benefit for the students who are doing it because talking to families and seeing a pet in the hospital is one thing, but going into their turf and talking with them when you've got pictures of, you know, on the wall of the kids, of the grandparents, of the pet, you know, it's, it's a totally different energy and dynamic mm-hmm. um, than a sterile exam room. Um, so it's, it's really important, I think, for students to be able to do that. It's a volunteer program. So, um, you know, the students that go through that and participate in that program are doing it because they're passionate about learning that, you know, how to have those discussions, how to support people during that time. No, I just, I think that's absolutely so important. I remember I had my very first dog, Obi, and he had a long life. He lasted for 15 years. So, wow. Um, yeah, good long life, black lab, golden, like he's a black lab mix that I got from a rescue at eight weeks old. Um, and just really, he helped me grieve through my loss of my parents, and he was sort of my focus so I could not, you know, dwell mm-hmm. on my parents' loss, but focus on his training and getting him to be a good puppy. Um, so he was a very important part of my life, you sure. know? And so he, I think he was the first real death I had to experience as far as right in front of me, you know, we mm. were at the vet and they gave him the shots. He ended up having um, pelvic cancer mm. 
and you know just feeling him leave his body I think that was the first experience I'd ever had with that but um you know they were really quite sweet with me the the vets there you know and I think that was really important to have that nurturing um during my sort of transition with my dog right Absolutely. there you know? yeah I mean that's a pivotal um moment for anybody um when it's that first loss or any big loss and it's an experience that cannot be great if you're in an environment where people are not compassionate or hurry you through the process or you know what have you so I'm glad to hear that you experienced something um that helped you through that time period yeah and I guess the other question I have for you is you know at that point dog was pretty much healthy throughout his whole life and then all of a sudden I could tell he wasn't Mm -hmm. and for most people I think it's really hard to make that decision to put your pet down Mm -hmm. you know it's just like well isn't there anything we can do and I mean generally speaking it's probably the most humane thing to put them down at a certain stage right right of course yeah I mean we have that option in veterinary care Going back to the second part of your question about um, pre-planning for end of life, we can talk a little bit about euthanasia and euthanasia is often referred to as a good death. And when I discuss euthanasia planning with people um, in my work, it's often an element of control in a situation where you don't have control. Right. So your pet is sick. You don't have control over that. You don't have control over cancer. You don't have control over the disease process. Um, And perhaps you don't have control over what treatment you choose because of finances or whatever, you know, plays into that. Um, But thinking about and being able to plan for how you want to say goodbye to your pet is an element of control. And Mm -hmm. if it's important for you to be the present um, for saying goodbye, or if it's important for you to have your animal at home versus going to the veterinary clinic, that takes some planning. And so it takes some discussion. It takes some research. Okay, who comes out to the home if I want this, if this is important? Or if, you know, the disease process is kind of gray and not black and white. It's, you know, it's not an emergency situation and I have some time to make some plans, you know, thinking about what do I want this day to look like? Um, Who do I want to be there? Do I want to do it outside? Do I want to do it so that, you know, Fluffy's in his favorite bed, et cetera. So making those kind of decisions, if you know, you have the time to do that is going to help you. It's going to help you, um, feel, make the process as peaceful as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can make it a beautiful experience. I mean, it's almost like an advanced medical directive for your pet in a way. Correct. Yes. And then I always tell people that, you know, it, that always have that emergency plan because sometimes even, you know, plan for the best and or hope for the best and plan for the worst. Um, and if, you know, you've got this great plan, but at two o'clock in the morning, the day before you have somebody scheduled to come out, um, to help you with a home euthanasia, your animal's in crisis. And Mm. so just kind of thinking about, okay, well, what, if that happens, 
I don't want it to happen. I'm doing everything I can to make it not happen. But if it does, who's going to help me carry my great Dane down the stairs? Right. What emergency hospital is open 24 seven? Right. Who do I need to call because I may not be in a good state to drive home or be by myself? Um, So those kind of things, it takes a little bit of the stress out of the moment, um, even if it's crisis, so that you can have that little bit of time to just focus on what you need to focus on in in the moment. It sounds exactly what we've talked about as far as funeral planning and hospice and um, estate planning, just really just thinking in advance, all the issues you really don't want to think about, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, right. But when you do it with yeah. a clear mind, it makes sense. Yes. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I often think we are so much more humane to our animals than we are to humans. <laughs> well, we have different choices, right? Yeah. We do. And, um, and we have to, they rely on us to make decisions because they can't tell us what they want. So we make decisions for them. You know, I'm sure your, your baby for 15 years, you decided what he ate, where he slept, where he stayed when he went on vacation, et cetera. And then you made a very loving decision to end suffering um, at the end of his life. So, yeah. And I have a 12-year-old Black Lab Golden Retriever mix named Wookie right now. Wookie. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And he's just the best. And, you know, I think about these things because 12 is getting up there, you know, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though he's in good shape, I, you know, you never know. I just don't right. know what's going on in his body and what the the process of aging will do, you know? Right, right. And it's... So I definitely think about these things in advance and just, I wish he could last forever, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I always say that they're perfect in every way, except they don't live long enough. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. They they live about a quarter of as long as mm-hmm. I'd like them to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and in that sort of lost your pet and do you have any recommendations for you know, the aftermath, like how to deal with children and pets, you know, and grieving and, and the family, um, you know, sure. any, any yeah. ideas on how people can ease that transition? Yeah. Well, children... Um, we get asked that a lot in regards to how do I talk to my kids? Um, you know, what do I involve them in the process, et cetera? Um, should I have them there when we say goodbye? Um, and I think, you know, for, it, it depends on the age, um, and developmentally wise, you know, uh, say one-year-old, two-year-olds, their, their attention span is that of a gnat. Um, (laughs) and you know, they're very much in the present and they're going to be less responsive to the actual event than more responsive to how their parental figures grieve. Um, and you know, that's, that's why death and loss and their first experience is important. And I love it when parents ask those questions because they're being thoughtful about how, you know, how to handle it in a way that perhaps that second loss that is going to be, you know, harder for that child will be a little bit easier because the first, how parents helped them through the first one. What I tell um, parents um, dependent upon age, of course, is to be direct and honest. Um, Children's imaginations usually are far worse than the truth. 
Um, so saying things like we put fluffy to sleep can be confusing to kids. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's bedtime and you're talking about going to sleep and the kids are <laughs> confused and think, well, am I going to wake up because fluffy never came home? That's a good point. Um, I've really thought yeah, of that. So <laughs> it's, you know, and, and there's for some age groups, there's still kind of an element of magical thinking where they think, okay, you know, they may seem to understand that um, Fluffy's not coming home or that Fluffy died. But five minutes later, they may be asking when, you know, is it time for Fluffy to eat? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, just having an awareness of, you know, what, what to your, what to expect from kids if you can't expect it because you know kids are unpredictable but there are certain developmental stages that you can expect to have these certain questions from kids or or that kind of thing and there's a lot of resources out there so I just encourage families to go go online or ask your veterinarian professional um you know, for some resources about how to talk to kids, because they are out there. There's a lot, a lot of books. Out yeah. There. And there's, I did a podcast with the Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon. Mm, and mm-hmm. yeah, and they have tons of resources about how to deal with grief in children. And um, I'm not sure if it's specifically pertaining to pets, but I'm sure if there's a lot of crossover there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um, because loss is loss. And, right, right. you know, having to explain what death is to a child. uh, It's not easy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, sure. Now we're at the point where I I always ask guests a couple of questions. And I always get varying (laughs) answers. It's quite interesting. Um, But I'm just curious, what's your vision of the afterlife? Like, where do you think pets go? And what would you like to see? Hmm. Well, um, in, I guess in my role as a counselor, um, in the work that I do, I try to stay neutral on those topics because it's really about what the clients believe or don't believe. And I think beliefs in the afterlife can have a really important, um, and direct impact on people's grief process. It can either bring great comfort to those that are grieving, or it can bring up a lot of, you know, questions and spiritual struggles. And so it's certainly an area that I help clients explore um, without putting my own beliefs on that. Um, And I, I find it fascinating to hear what different people's beliefs are. Mm -hmm. Um, And what do you think? What's your belief? Well, um, as I said, uh, you know, I think it's important to stay neutral on that as a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I'm, that's how I feel comfortable answering, I guess. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the second question I ask is basically considering your experience and what you've been through in your life. What's the most important piece of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Hmm. Oh, good question. Um, I guess recognizing and appreciating that, that death is a part of life and it's, it's not only okay, but it's healthy to talk about it, to talk about it beforehand, whether you're talking about a two-legged family member or four-legged 
furry um, family member. And when you do lose something or someone you love, it's okay to grieve. And I think it's important to honor those feelings because I truly believe that grief means that you were capable of experiencing great love. Yeah. And that's, that's an amazing thing. And that's what it's about. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think grief, the only way through grief is to truly let yourself to give yourself permission to feel those feelings and process all the thoughts that happen around those feelings. And it's work. Grief is a lot of work. Um, and if you're diligent enough to do the work, then I think you come out on the other side of grief, a softer, kinder, and more open-hearted person. No, I and hundred percent mm-hmm. agree. You are preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, this whole podcast is an exploration of all of that mm-hmm. in many different capacities, and I especially think in the pet realm, um, you know, you're dealing with probably some of the purest beings you'll ever experience who just don't ask so much. All they want is love. They don't ask very much Mm -hmm. from you, you know? And they give that unconditional love. And I think 500 times back, you know, and sometimes that's why I think, you know, people are caught off guard by the grief that they do feel and, and, and losing their pets. Um, but when you think about that relationship and that bond, that unconditional love, the, you know, the simple fact is sometimes we spend more time with those four-legged family members than we do our two-legged family members. Right. And sometimes we like them a little bit more. <laughs> or a lot more. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't care if we've brushed our teeth or washed our hair or, you know, um, have crumbs on our shirt. They love us completely. And there's, there's no judgment, you mm-hmm. know, there's exactly, and there's instant yeah. forgiveness. Yep. And that's, which I love that, yeah. le- that leaves a huge void when they're gone. It leaves yeah. a really huge void. Yeah. And in fact, I try to be more like my dog than anybody else. <laughs> Something we should all aspire to, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I've agreed. Agreed. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to um, talk to us today. And I thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast, for for talking about these topics. They're so important for people to hear and have a safe place to, to talk about or create a discussion. So thank you for doing that. Uh, you are welcome. And just real quick, where can people find more information on, on Argus? Sure. Um, well, we have a website. So if you just Google Argus Institute um, at CSU, or if you go to CSU main page and look for the Argus Institute, we have a pretty extensive website where um, you can find resources on anything from assessing quality of life for your pets to talking to children about grief um, and just a a lot of resources on there. So please um, check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much for the work you do as well. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Michelle. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.